It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.07 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, back from a trip, a wonderful trip to the Galapagos and the Amazon and Quito, Ecuador. Took a group of 35 garden enthusiasts down to that part of the South America. We had a wonderful time. At the beginning of each hour this morning, I'm reporting on a different aspect of the trip. The first hour, 6 o'clock this morning, I talked about the, the people. They were wonderfully accommodating and friendly people there. But now let's talk a little bit about the animals that were in the Galapagos and in the Amazon. Unfortunately, I was not able to go to the Galapagos because I had a family emergency back home. But the people who went were fascinated. I got lots and lots and lots of pictures that they shared with me on my phone. Fascinated by the Galapagos fauna, I guess we'd say. The iguanas that were there, big sharp-toothed iguanas. The uh, boobies, which are their blue-footed and red-footed boobies, which I haven't found out yet why one is red and one is blue. But they're both types of birds, boobies, that are there on the Galapagos. There's the frigate bird, which has great big red pouch on its chest. And when it inflates the pouch to, to attract its mate there, it is a pretty impressive sight to see that big inflated pouch on the, on the frigate bird. Also, the um, not the sea, but the sea lions is there on the uh, on the island as well. And one of the things about the Galapagos, one of the reasons that it is so well preserved, is they have rules, and the rules are you do not ever walk over an animal. The animals are very friendly, very non-concerned when humans show up because they haven't learned to be afraid of us because people don't hunt them, don't do any any damage to them to them themselves. And so, if you found an animal in the path in front of you, you walk around it. If you don't, don't step over, don't alarm it, don't do anything to make the animal think that you have any, any threat to them. There are plenty of tortoises there as well, and tortoises are a pretty wonderful creature to see because some of them are 50 to 90, maybe 100 years old. Unbelievable how old these tortoises were. Then I rejoined the group. We went to the Amazon, and the Amazon, as you can imagine, is a fascinating place for animals. One of the things that I learned, and I never really thought about this because I'm not really trained as an ecologist, but wherever there is a high amount of diversity, there is a very low amount of density. Now, what does that mean? It means that there may have been 50 or 100 different kinds of birds that we saw in the jungle around the Amazonian tributary that we were, that we were on, but there weren't that many of them. There were a few more of the bird called the stinky turkey, <laughs> the stinky turkey is one that has a a uh, digestive system different from other other birds. Instead of having one stomach, it has two, and one of its crops, one of its places that it holds food, is allowed to ferment inside the stinky turkey. And so their their droppings are particularly foul smelling. So there were more stinky turkeys, perhaps, than we needed to see. There were maybe a few more toucans and parrots, but of every species, it might be only a dozen or two within sight. Whereas here in, you know, in the state, sometimes there are 20 or 30 robins that come to my lawn and feed there, 20 or 30 different kinds of other birds that come to my lawn here. But there, again, when there's very little density, there's a lot of diversity 
in the birding, certainly. What did other people see in the Amazon when they saw tapers? There was a taper, one of those big animals with a long snout, looks sort of like a miniature elephant with a long snout. It was being hunted by dogs or by hunters, perhaps, so it swam across the lake in front of one group in their canoe. There were plenty, plenty, plenty of hummingbirds. There were um, monkeys. Oh, my gosh, the squirrel monkeys, the capuchin monkeys, the howler monkeys. Incredible to see them moving through the trees. Sometimes you wouldn't see them. You'd see or hear the branches breaking in the woods in front of you, in the forest in front of you, and all of a sudden they would come into view. Branches breaking as the squirrel monkeys and the capuchin monkeys that traveled together were coming through the trees, just bounding from limb to limb to limb to limb. And then in the morning when you woke up and there were very few bird calls, way off in the distance you hear this which was the sound of howler monkeys waking up and calling to each other so far away that you couldn't hear individual calls, but it sounded like the wind. In the uh, in the trees, and then the howler monkeys would come closer and closer. You hear them as they call to each other in the trees as well. What an amazing experience to see that! There were fish in the lagoon around the uh, resort where we were camped, and the fish would come up. Some of them as many as ten feet long, slap the water hard to stun the fish in the water underneath, and then they would feed on them. Is that not a crazy thing for a fish to slap the water with their tail just to stun the ones around to get food? Unbelievable. So we saw a lot of animals. We saw a lot of animals down there. Again, where there I gotta repeat this to myself, where there's not much diversity where there's not much density, there is a lot of diversity. That was certainly the true. Certainly true for us in the Amazon. My number four oh four eight seven two zero seven fifty. Jeff is first in line. Hey Jeff, good morning. Hey, how you doing? Hey, man, we're fine. What's up? All right. So, uh, first off, it's probably going to be a lot less interesting than your uh, <laughs> story about the rainforest and animals. But I've got a uh, problem outside of my house, a yeah. uh, bunch of wood chips, and there's these black and white mushrooms. They're kind of tubular shaped that yeah. are starting to come up. They yeah. smell horrendous, and um, <laughs> I haven't really begun to try to get rid of them yet, and yeah. I'm I got a long commute to work, so I figured I'd call you to get your thoughts on uh, getting rid of what yeah. we got. Very uh, common and very distinctive in the smell. Like you said, they are stinky, stinky, stinky. And attract a lot of flies, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. They're called stink horns. I mean, that is their name. The literal name oh. is stink horn <laughs> mushrooms. Uh, they look sort of like a horn coming out of the ground, and they stink. Okay, there we go. And the way that they reproduce is not by dry spores like most of the normal-looking mushrooms do, but by this sort of sticky stuff, the the black part on the tip. And that is what smells so bad. And that's done that way so that the flies and the beetles and things that are attracted, they will come and get some of that sticky stuff on their legs, and they'll fly off and land some other place, and the spores get spread in that way. So it's a sort of individually different way of spreading spores on that mushroom, that stinky, or the stinkhorn mushroom, than it is with the regular mushrooms of the calf that we all recognize. And you know, bluntly, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about them, Jeff. They, they occur where you have a pile of wood mulch, usually, that's gotten uh-huh. wet and been warm for a little while, and the fungus that's underneath um, is decomposing the wood chips. And it makes a little egg. If you haven't seen this, you ought to dig around real carefully around that stink horn and see the little egg that it comes from. It's very, very much like a chicken egg or maybe a snake egg there. And the egg splits apart and the stink horn emerges from the top of the egg. But you right. may find it other... It appears to come from different spots, like yeah. all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're different eggs, different uh, parts of the fungus that is decomposing the wood chips, getting, as I say, getting happy <laughs> underneath underneath the surface of the mulch pile. The fungus decomposing everything all of a sudden gets warm, gets moist, and thinks, "I am happy now. I'm going to uh, bloom," and it blooms with the stinkhorn in the uh, out of the surface. Okay. So, what can you do about it? Not much, as I say. Take a rake. You know, rake over the top of the mulch pile to dry it out a little bit to get some of those eggs out of there. If it gets cold, then none of them are going to certainly emerge during the cold weather. Next spring, when it's warm again, you may see a few more or smell a few more. And, okay. you know, again, no big deal. They're not poisonous or anything dangerous to pets or anybody else. Nobody wants to get close to anything that smells that bad. So, so yeah. not harm, harmful to anybody around. And just one of those things you sometimes notice. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Stinkhorn. You can learn a little bit more every day, Jeff. Thanks for calling. No problem, Dan. 404 gets you in to take Jeff's place. And there are other kinds of stinkhorns besides the one that comes out of the ground that's, you would say the tube is white and the cap is sort of a brown, slimy stuff. There's another one that comes out of the ground that is very much red, very much red. And the cap is very small, and so the top of the tip of this thing is uh, more a pink color, pink out of the ground, and then red at the cap, red at the tip of it. And that is another kind of stinkhorn. There's another one called the latticed stinkhorn, which comes up and looks like a like a squid, really, coming up out of the ground, but then it splits apart and becomes lattice work on top of the ground, too. Again, what can you do? Not much about it other than dry, dry the mulch pile out. There are mushrooms that are very common this time of year in the lawn. In fact, I had a guy email me a picture of one. It's round, very dark, very dark. Um, two inches maybe in diameter, very round, sort of hard. You see it emerging, the top surface of this little round thing emerging from your grass. And if you dig it up as he did and slice into it as he did, you'll find that inside there's a lot of powder. And those are puffball mushrooms. Their way of, of spreading themselves and spreading the spores is to grow out of the ground, to dry out, and then to have some animal or human being, like, like it was when I was a kid, when you saw a puffball in the pasture, you immediately went over to it and kicked it, <laughs> it a little bit to uh, make the puff go up and, and just do what boys do when they see something like that in the, in the pasture. So these puffball mushrooms now are pretty common in lawns. Again, they're about two inches in diameter, very dark, and the inside is either purple when they're young or dry and powdery when they're old. And these puffballs spread the spores in that way. The capped mushrooms, you know about the capped mushrooms that have the regular little caps on it. They have gills, and the spores fall from the gills, and they spread out too. I might mention there's a new book that just came out, I think, in the last week or two, called Mushrooms of the Southeastern United States. And it's written and illustrated, all the photographs taken, by Mary Worrell. Mary Worrell used to work for the... Uh, Atlanta Botanical Garden here, and when she was here, I could send her pictures pretty frequently and say, Mary, what is this? <laughs> she would tell me what the mushroom was. But it's better these days, I think, not to, not to bother Mary if she moved to Athens and uh, started writing this book. But if you want to identify mushrooms, Mushrooms of the Southeastern United States is a great book. Lots of color pictures there, and you can take your time learning about the mushrooms. Also, there's a mushroom 
group, I guess you'd call it, the Atlanta, I believe it's called the Atlanta Mushroom Club or Georgia Mushroom Club that's here in Atlanta and Georgia as well. And you could join them if you're very interested in mushrooms and go out on mushroom picking expeditions and find out more about mushrooms in that way too. It's 718. We'll be back after this. Yeah, we're happy here at the studio. We are indeed. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security today. It's going to be at the mid-60s. Pretty warm this afternoon. Rain coming over tonight as the cold front comes in. Tomorrow, chilly. Mid to low 50s overnight. 31 degrees, perhaps. So keep your eye out for chilly weather. All your outdoor plants that need to come inside, they need to come inside. The cool weather is coming and may stay around for a little while as well. The full weather forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Our number is 404-872-0750. Clint in Dallas, Georgia, has a tragedy that happened to his wisteria vine. What's going on, Clint? Yes, hello. Hey, Clint. What we've got is I've got a, a 10-year-old wisteria that was transplanted from Florida. It was my wife's grandmother's. Yeah. And over the 10 years, it, it's grown into like three stalks, yeah. uh, maybe two inches around. Got it. That I put a four-by-four four in the ground, and the wisteria has grown up, and we have to prune it back weekly. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> well, well, finally, the uh, the wind or the four-by-four four is rotted, and the whole thing is, is yeah. kind of falling over on the ground. Oh, man, it's, yeah. it's kind of mushroom-like to where, you know, you got the stalks coming up, and then yeah. all the growth is at the top. Sure. Not sure how much of that I can cut back and uh, not kill the plant. I know it's a vine, so not, I mean, not really you, sure about it. you have nothing to worry about. Cut it back okay. to whatever seems reasonable to get your new posts. And you said you used four by fours last time. You used six by six this time. <laughs> get some big right. posts on that thing. It will be big. It's got a huge root system on it now. And even if you were to cut cut it back to three feet high, let's say just cut back to the main stem, three feet long. By the end of next summer, man, Clint is going to be all over that arbor. It will grow rapidly. It'll go almost visible for you to see the ends of the vine growing during the summertime. Great. Great news. Thank you. Yeah, bad. You're going to have a great old big vine, and just make sure the arbor is big enough to support it next time. We'll step it up in size this time. <laughs> all right. We'll see you, Clint. Thanks. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Clint's place. Wisteria, man, he is going to have problems to say. I'm not going to say what the problems are going to be, but if he ever tries to kill that wisteria, he'll find out how vigorous that plant is. As some of you know, 727 will be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.36, 46 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape, no matter how you define success. If you want one more flower, one less weed, one better bloom on your houseplants, if you need an organic recommendation, if you need a synthetic insecticide recommendation, if you need anything that has to do with the green growing out of doors, I'm your man on Saturday mornings, 404 872 0750 8720750 the numbers that Jean dialed just a few minutes ago and here she is on the air with us right now. Hey Jean, good morning. Good morning. How can I help? 
I have a gardenia bush that came from a cutting of my sister's bush. Yeah. And it developed some yellow leaves. So I took it, took, I went to Pikes and they told me it needed liquid iron. Okay. So I did the application of that according to directions. And about a month ago, my whole bush practically is yellow leaves. Wow. And I don't want to lose this bush because it's a cutting from my sister's bush who has since passed away. And I was wondering if you could tell me what to do. Hmm. It's normal in the spring for gardenias to get a lot of yellow leaves on them. But that's a springtime thing, not a November, October, November kind of thing. And the whole bush turning yellow. Hmm. I have more yellow leaves than I have green. Right. To me, I'll tell you what what it, what it smells like to me. <laughs> we were talking about mushrooms while ago. I can't get the word <laughs> smell. <laughs> what it smells like to me, what I think when I hear your description, is something is going on with the root or lower stem of this gardenia. Not a disease that is on the leaves. There's probably not many spots on the leaves other than yellow leaves that are about to fall off. Sometimes they get spots on them that didn't cause them to fall off in the first place. So my guess is that this, the root system of the gardenia has been weakened for some in some manner. Now, what could the manner, what could it be? Too dry, too wet, too much clay soil. I top for a, I'm just thinking of all of listing off the things in my head right now, Gene, that could be the, the cause of the, uh, of the gardenia to turn yellow like that. Here's what I would do, all right, where I you, what I would do. Go outside, rake away all the mulch, make sure you can see the ground underneath the gardenia, and just check and make sure what my first guess was maybe too wet. Maybe it's somewhere near a downspout or something that has just made the soil stay wet for a long period. That makes root rot really likely on, on shrubbery. Not only gardenia, but boxwoods and hollies and all the shrubs don't like their roots to be wet for most of the summer. And it rained a lot the earlier part of this year. So make sure the ground is not wet. Number two, I have gotten extremely good results with what I call my renovation formula, which is a mixture of various slow-release organic fertilizer and a lot of soil conditioner used as a mulch under shrubs that really look sort of peaked. And yours is pretty peaked right now. <laughs> yes, it is. So the way that I make my renewal stuff, my, my formula, is just get some, you know what milorganite is, Gene? Milorganite no. or, or um, what's another? Holly Tone is another organic fertilizer. Pike sells a good one called JB Stone Landscape Fertilizer. But, or so EB, I can just go me, to Pike and ask them for the good fertilizer. Tell them you need some EB Stone Landscape Fertilizer. There's EB Stone. And you get a bag of that. It's a little bag. And you get a little bag of that. Take it home with a bag of what at Pike. If you go to Pike to buy the EB Stone, then certainly get a bag of what they call their planting soil or planting soil conditioner. Bring the both okay. of them home with you. And if you have a wheelbarrow or a place on your driveway that you mix them together, put a quart, about a quart of the fertilizer in with a bag of the soil conditioner stuff. Just mix it around with a hoe or something, a shovel, doesn't matter to me. Just mix it up real good. It's really rich at that point. It has a nice load of slow-acting fertilizer and a lot of organic matter, which is what usually shrubs in Georgia need to have more of. And so go around to your, to your gardenia and spread this mixture on the ground underneath and I don't know, half an inch or so is about right, about a half an inch layer underneath the shrubbery. 
and then get a, a pitchfork or a pole or a spading fork or something to poke the ground with and just poke, just start poking holes in the ground and mixing this stuff in the upper two or three inches maybe of the soil underneath your gardenia. And you accomplish okay. a couple of things. You add more organic matter, that's what this rub loves, and you add a little fertilizer, and the fertilizer will be very slowly released over the wintertime because it's cold now. It doesn't release during the, during the cold weather. And next spring, there'll still be some nutrition left from that fertilizer, and the organic matter will still be there because you poked your, your poker into the soil and mixed the two together. <laughs> and by next spring, when the warm weather returns in April, I'll bet that gardenia is going to look a lot better than it does right now. Oh, thank you so much. Should I cover that when it gets really cold like it's supposed to do in the next few days? No, really cold means 5 degrees. At 5 okay. degrees, Jean, I want you out there with a sheet covering that gardenia up. But okay. if it is uh, anything above 10 degrees, generally speaking, no problem. 15 degrees, maybe. But some, somewhat depends on the length of time that it is cold overnight and how much wind you have and how much damage you get from cold weather. So I wouldn't worry about anything less than 20 or over 20 degrees. And I wouldn't even think probably about covering it until it gets down to 15 or 10, maybe. Something like that. Okay. Right. I appreciate that so much. Call again if you need me. Thanks. We'll see you soon, Gene. Bye-bye. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Gene's place. Bob is in Gainesville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. I got a follow-up question. I chatted with you earlier in the spring about red tips. Yeah, man. And uh, I've got some extremely healthy uh, red tips. Well, back in the spring I did, but they were gigantic, yeah. 20 feet. Tw I mean, they were just huge. The base, uh, easily, uh, the bases on all these plants are probably six to eight inches wide. So these, these red tips have been there for quite a while. Yeah, they're big guys. All right, so I cut them down to about 10 feet, and they uh, they started coming back beautifully. They sure. filling in real nice. And then right around August, um, the new leaves that were on the plant started spotting and falling <laughs> off. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Now, with... When I did cut uh, the branches back and cut everything back, I made sure that I cleared all the leaves and all the extra branches because that was your advice. Right. Uh, and now they look kind of barren. Um, a friend of mine told me to get some uh, some chicken droppings from some of the houses up here and mix them with water and use that for fertilizer. Is that okay for this kind of plant? Sure, wouldn't hurt my wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. Sure. Okay, great. That's what I thought. And, uh, I'm not I've sure I'd fertilize now. Again, there's not the chicken fertilizer, chicken droppings, has a lot of nitrogen in it. Right. And it will be quickly released nitrogen. That's in contrast to the stuff that I was telling Gene about a minute ago, which right. is the slow-release organic fertilizer, which has been composted and is made in such a way that it does not release nitrogen very quickly at all. Chicken okay. manure is a different animal. So fresh or even some composted chicken manure has got a lot of nitrogen in it. So if I were fertilizing the red tips, frankly, I wouldn't do it till next spring, till March or April next year. Okay. But they're going to come back okay. Well, they're going to come back okay as long as you protect the new leaves with some sort of fungicide spray. Again, around the time they're just emerging when they're about an inch or so long. Okay, now I did that this summer, and uh, they were fine for about three weeks, and yeah. then sometime in August, it just 
everything went south. Yeah, they got the leaf spot back on them again. You needed to maybe spray another time. You know, keep the okay. fungicide on them because that's the reason that we don't have many successful red tips in Georgia anymore. There used to be millions of them. If you remember, right. Bob, there were just millions all over Georgia. And then the leaf spot that you've described very well, just red spots all over the young leaves, came in and defoliated them so many times that people, either the red tips died or people got tired of looking at the spots and dug them up and threw them away. So you still have some red tip leaf spot in your neighborhood and it infected those new leaves. And really the only protection you have is to spray fungicide on the leaves and protect them anytime there's new growth coming out. Old growth I, is usually resistant to the disease, but those new red leaves, they're fully susceptible to the leaf spot. I got you. I got you. Okay. All right. Well, great. Well, I'll give it a shot and I'll call you back in the spring when they look beautiful. Anytime you need to. I'm here every Saturday morning. Have a great day and happy Thanksgiving. Sure, Bob. Thank you, sir. Good question. We'll Bye-bye. see you soon. It's 745. Margaret comes to us with a question. No, Gardenia cutting. Margaret, that's what Margaret was asking about. Hey, Margaret, good morning. Yeah. Good morning. I thought it was Gardenia. I thought it was the same call I just had. But no, it's a new question. What can I yeah, do for you, Margaret? Well, I, I cut a, a tickle cutting from my big Gardenia tree almost. Yeah. And I put it in water and I put a little milk or grow in there. Yeah. Anyway. It has sprouted. I got lots of little, you know, white sprouts out, and I want to know when can I plant it. Meaning it has it has roots on it now. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. It's not. It must have been a tiny little bit of Miracle Grow in there. Not much Miracle Grow. Because mm-hmm. too much will burn the roots right off. Right. Well, whew, boy, that's a hard question to answer now, Margaret. I got to think what I'm going to say. <laughs> because if you pot it and put it in a in a regular pot and then put it outside, it's probably going to get so cold that it freezes. When right. gardenias, when they're young like this, they're more tender than they are when they're old, like the lady earlier had. Right. So part of me says, put it in a pot and put it in a sunny window and keep it indoors, in a real sunny window, and right. keep it indoors all winter long. And the other part of me says, well, maybe if Margaret has a nice little a nook is the best way to describe it, a place where there's a little brick wall and a little bit of shelter from the wind, mm. where it never really <clears throat> gets cold there during the wintertime. Mm. That would be even better if you had the proper place outside that was, like, a, like I said, a little protected nook outdoors, by mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. <clears throat> maybe by the back steps or some places you could put that pot maybe halfway in the ground, halfway out, place mm. it doesn't get too wet during the wintertime, places it sort of can just grow and be protected there. You could even put a little piece of plastic over the area, not to keep all the rain and, and wind off of it, but just a little bit of protection for it. Sure. That would be better, I think, to keep it outside, let it root a little bit further, and then you know, plant it in its permanent place next spring when planting time comes. Okay. Let's put it in a pot. I think put it in a pot, put it in a pot with just right. some so you can keep regular it potting soil. And if you can get the potting soil without fertilizer... Okay. I think that would be better for it. Again, I just don't want to stimulate it too much in the cold weather because that cold weather, mm-hmm. tender foliage is not going not to do right for each other. Okay. Thank you much. Good luck with it, Margaret. Thank you for calling. Okay. We'll Bye-bye. see you. 748 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. I have made it to longer than 22 years old. I have the wisdom accumulated in... Well, we're not going to say how many years I've accumulated this wisdom. I should say I have more than 22. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. 
This afternoon, mid-60s. It's going to be warm this afternoon. Then as the cold front comes in, some rain this evening. Probably a 60 or 70 percent chance of rain overnight. 40s in the overnight temperature. Tomorrow, getting chilly. 50s, low 50s tomorrow. 30s in the evening. And then on Monday, back down again we go. Cool weather is coming to us. The full weekend forecast comes in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Had another caller who didn't want to go on the air who wanted to know, are garden mums annuals or are they perennials? And it sort of depends on where you're growing them. If you're just growing them in a pot and you don't really care about them, then I'd call them an annual. <laughs> Throw them away. But if you want to keep a particular mum from this fall that you think, boy, the flowers on that really look nice, many times you can take the cuttings. I mean just literally a six-inch cutting from a mum and stick it in the ground in different places around the yard. And those things will root right there in place. I have a friend, Linda, who got a particularly nice chrysanthemum for, for uh, an arrangement in the fall. This was 10 years ago, easily. And she took the little cuttings, little four to six inch cuttings from that mom, stuck it in the ground next to her concrete walkway that came up to the front door of the house. There was a line of chrysanthemums in the springtime. They all rooted over the wintertime. And they sprouted up and bloomed in the summertime, they, or in the late fall, I guess. But they still looked great, just in the sort of evergreen form along the walkway during the summer and spring. And then they bloomed in the fall. She cut them back a couple of times, I think, to keep them compact. They looked great. And all she did was take little cuttings from those chrysanthemums and stick them in the ground. They rooted great. So are chrysanthemums annuals or perennials? Depends on how you treat them. If you have a warm place down in South Georgia and Macon, they'll be perennial for you for a long time. Up here in Atlanta, many times they'll die out after two or three years, but you can continue to propagate them again by taking the cuttings, sticking them in the ground, or if you want to, sticking them in a pot, rooting them, and then planting them in the garden. They do fine that way. One of the things I want to mention is on my website, there's an opportunity to sign up for our email newsletter. We've got an email newsletter that comes out every two weeks on Thursday. And every Thursday, every two weeks, I should say, every other Thursday when it comes out, it always has pictures, problems, weird things you need to know about, things that I've noticed around the neighborhood. And this particular issue this past Thursday was about acorns. People have noted to me they have millions of acorns right now. What do you do about them? Is there anything that you can do about them? Basically, I say live with it. Be careful where you walk. Next year, you may not have quite as many because oaks sometimes tend to be on and off, on and off for the acorn production. A lot of other questions and answers, and the newsletter is free. All you have to do is go to my website, upper right-hand corner, subscribe to the newsletter. That's all there is to it. We'll be back right after news.